This is the Story Power Marketing Show with Tom Ruich. Make yourself comfortable and fasten your seatbelt. Tom and his guests are about to share powerful stories, trade business building insights, and have a few laughs. Tom created this podcast to help you captivate prospects and inspire them to act so you can get more clients quickly and easily. That's what powerful storytelling is all about. That's what this podcast is all about. So let's get this party started. Here's your host, Tom Ruich. Hello, this is the Story Power Marketing Show, and I am Tom Ruich. Today's episode is called Marketing Lessons from a Master Copywriter. As always, before I introduce today's guest, I'll kick things off with a story. There's a discussion board on Reddit called Keep Writing. Aspiring writers post works in progress on the board and ask for feedback. A few months ago, a dude called Ninja TR33 posted a story. The headline for the post said, I wrote a story and wanted some feedback. Please be soft with me, though. I don't have too thick skin. My reaction when I saw that? Oh, no. Ninja Thin Skin has picked the wrong place to share his story. And oh, lordy. What a terrible story it is. I can't do it justice today. Trust me, though, the story is laughably bad. I've written more about it, and I'll share the link in the show notes. A few people in the Reddit forum offered gentle feedback and advice, nothing that would pierce Ninja's thin skin. And then a guy named Zero Skull weighed in. He opened his comment by saying, I've got on kid gloves made of the finest kid skin, but I am in the ring to make you a better writer and not to encourage you to keep sucking at writing. So expect a few swings and and I may land a few punches. And then he offered 895 words of insightful, piercing criticism. Ninja Thinskin didn't like it. Here are some of the highlights from Ninja's reply. Most of your questions are irrelevant or unimportant or already answered by the story. I made some things in the story nonsensical and hard to understand because to a normal, entirely sane person, the insanity of the narrator just shouldn't make sense. And then there's this in response to feedback that he had misused a bunch of words. I was misusing some words to surprise the reader instead of to tell a story. Zero Skull's reply was short and sweet. Don't reply to me. Put it in the story. Ninja said he would not accept Zero Skull's feedback because, and I quote, you're being so rude. From my ringside seat, Zero Zero Skull appeared more helpful than rude, but the thin skin often interpret constructive feedback as a personal insult. Zero Skull had run out of patience. He took off the kid gloves and wrote, okay, Never write again because you suck at it and you never want to be a better writer. Quit now and never do it again because you don't want it. Otherwise, put it in the story and be a better writer. Translation, quit whining, grow thicker skin, use my feedback, be better. Which brings me to my guest today, Kim Krause Schwalm, who teaches that the best copywriters and marketers have thick skin. Kim is an A-list copywriter and a master marketer who once said this, copywriting is all about resilience. At a copywriting boot camp she ran a few years back in LA, she said, quote, 
It's not just about being a good writer. It's not just about being confident or being able to talk to people or get clients. It's not even necessarily about being smart. It's about being resilient. You need to be able to bounce back from your failures. You need to be able to say, hey, that didn't work, but that's okay because I learned this. And Kim Krause Schwamm has learned a lot over the years, and she's going to share many of those lessons with us today. Kim was always a marketer who could write copy. She spent more than 13 years in the corporate world in various marketing positions from brand manager to publisher to launching and running the Healthy Direction supplement business and growing it to more than 23 million in sales within three years before she started her freelance copywriting career in 1998. Uh, now, more than two decades later, Kim has built a reputation as one of the top A-level direct response copywriters in the country. She's racked up dozens of successful direct mail and online controls, beating legendary copywriters and becoming the first female copywriter to get a control with boardroom. Kim writes winning copy and creates breakthrough marketing strategies for leading companies such as Soundview, Bottomline, Green Valley Natural Solutions, National Geographic, and many others, both in the United States and from England to Germany to Singapore. Kim credits her creative and analytical mind and marketing know-how for giving her a much-needed edge in today's increasingly competitive copywriting world, and she wants to help others gain the same marketing savvy advantage. She's one of the few top level copywriting veterans who's still writing copy for clients while being willing to share her success secrets to help up and coming copywriters and marketers of all stripes go from good to great. Kim, welcome to the Story Power Marketing Show. It's great to be here. Thank you. Yeah. And uh, so lessons learned, thick skin, resilience. Uh, I said that you have, have learned many, many lessons over the years. Let's just begin to unpack it. What should copywriters or marketers of all stripes, as I said, um, what, what should they know about how to create more compelling copy, more compelling content that attracts clients and, and inspires them to act? Well, it's funny, I did another presentation a few years later after the boot camp, and I went deep into three lessons I learned early on, and they all resulted from three of my projects that I, I did as a freelancer um, in the first few years, two, three years. And the initial time, they all bombed, mm -hmm. but I got a second chance with each of them. And on the second try, they became huge winners. and you know, that maybe that is a good place to start today because uh, they kind of have to do with copy. Um, but, and I'll have to try to remember exactly what they were now, but the first one, let me just kind of go back in time here in my time capsule. I remember getting an opportunity to write a financial newsletter promotion. And I had never written a full length financial newsletter promotion before. I think actually I might have, I have done a lot of copy for the client, but not something of that caliber. And I went up against none other than the late Jim Rutz, who yeah. is a legendary copywriter. And he had this control promo that was doing great. It had, it actually, this was back in the days of heavy direct mail. 
he had on the front of his magazine style um, self mailer, a presidential seal. This was when George W. Bush was president and it yeah. had this, it looked literally like something from the white house. And I had to go up against that. So what I decided to do being sort of this brash and maybe slightly overconfident young marketer, I'm going to do something really out of the box. And I put a big giant Godzilla on the front cover. And I, you know, I had like Alan Greenspan and a few others like in, in set pictures, but basically I took this very bold out of the box um, approach. Well, guess what? I didn't win. In fact, I bombed. Um, and what I learned from that, because, you know, something you said, very important is you have to learn from every single mistake you make. Mm -hmm. And I'll, I'll have a little side story on that in just a second. Um, but what I, luckily the client was very happy with the rest of the promo and they had the foresight to say six months later, you know what, here's another upfront fee, go ahead and write a whole other new package for the same product. So this time I took a little bit different approach. I thought, hmm, what, let's look at really what's been working for them in the past and what other people are doing. And let me, you know, how am I going to get, you know, what is it that's really making this thing work? Well, it looks valuable. It doesn't look like advertising, right? It looks like something official, which P.S., the second time around, they could not mail the same promo for Jim Rutz because they got a cease and desist letter uh -huh. from the White House. <laughs> I was like, oh, well, I still have not reached that pinnacle. I still want to get one of those that hasn't <laughs> happened yet. So he had a whole different cover. So I went with something that looked valuable, right? Look valuable. And you can apply this to pretty much anything, right? You don't want to look, as soon as you look like advertising, this is where the storytelling comes in so valuable mm -hmm. too, right? You draw people in in other ways. They don't even realize this is a sales message or being sold. So in this case, I used it looked very much made it look like an actual newsletter being mailed to them, um, but it was all sales copy. And then I was able to get the control and beat Jim Rutz. And yeah. so that was, again, it all started from what did I learn from this massive failure where I could have just tucked my tail between my legs and run off and said, I'd suck. I'll never be able to make this happen. Right. But you've got to learn. And I will say during my um, my several years I spent at Phil's Publishing, where I um, did launch the Healthy Directions business, we all had a very humbling exercise we had to do each month, no matter what level you were, if you're just beginning manager or you know marketer, or if you were at the top level, everybody had to submit their lessons learned for the month to the president of the company. And then in our monthly management meeting, we would all go over them. And so it just taught you that hey, failure is okay. It's what you learn from it. And we all can learn and we're sharing. And so we're not just making the mistakes in this little bubble. Other people in the organization are sharing what they've learned. And so it was really valuable. And I think that's one reason I've just always embraced to some degree failure. I mean, it's obviously it's hard, but you always have to think about what can I learn from it? Yeah. Fail, fail forward. Amen. And, yeah. and I need to put into perspective this story that you just told and and partly by describing for those who may not know what a control is the idea of a control in copywriting is that you have put out a letter an advertisement whatever it may be that is performing at the top of the heap and and sometimes for some products controls might run for years and years and years and what will happen is the smart marketers and the organizations for which you worked were smart, smart people. Mm -hmm. They will then ask the 
other copywriters to come in, either in-house or contract copywriters, and try to beat the control, try to write another letter or ad that performs better. And so they're constantly hopscotching and improving on the control. Yeah, it's like optimizing. It's like constantly optimizing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, exactly. And, And Jim Rutz is a legend, one of the great, great, great copywriters, you know, um, on most people's top 10 lists, easily, maybe top top five five lists. Um, Jim Rutz is a copywriting legend. And the fact that Kim beat Jim Rutz on a control is no small thing. Um, I, uh, I, I think it's an awesome, awesome story. You have other ones. I do. And it's funny because I was actually very shy for years about, oh, I shouldn't go around saying that or, you know, and I, then that, again, I, I didn't really need to, because as soon as I beat Jim Rutz, Brian Kurtz heard about it, right? Brian Mm -hmm. Kurtz at the time, he's a, he's an extremely legendary marketer. Um, At the time he was um, running most of the marketing up at boardroom. And it's funny because I tried to get my foot in the door there. That was at least boardroom used to be this place that they only hired the very top copywriters. And if you could get a boardroom control, it was like, you know, pretty huge stuff. Right. Um, But I I tried getting my foot in the door and it was kind of like, oh, yeah, whatever. You know, we'll get back to you (laughs) kind of thing. Right. And then he heard that um, at a marketing roundtable that I that I had the control, meaning, you know, the, the winning promotion for this top financial newsletter and that I had beaten Jim Rutz and he literally couldn't call me fast enough <laughs> and was like, can you write for a boardroom? And I'm like, I don't know, maybe, no, um, I think I can fit you guys in. <laughs> and uh, so, yeah, that's kind of what happens in the competitive uh, direct response world. And so, yes, then I got a chance to learn one of my second most valuable lessons about copywriting and communication in general. Um, I was hired to go up against a seven-year control that was considered unbeatable by Paris Rompopoulos, who is another top, top legendary copywriter. Top 10, top 10. uh, The promo was, again, it was something that was looking valuable. Um, it looked like an actual letter, a number 10 envelope from the IRS. You know, you're going to open this thing, right? You're going to get in there and you're going to realize, oh, wait, they're selling me tax advice for a tax you know, newsletter. Um, but it gets you in, it gets you to open it, et cetera. So this was really yeah, Kim, doing well. Kim, I, I want to note one thing because you, you said this before. I'm sorry to interrupt, but it, no, it's, it, okay. it's, a, it's a really critical point. Um, yeah. you, you talk about, you know, you open it. And it's sales copy. But one of the most powerful things about good sales copy is that the copy itself is informative and value. Providing value, rewarding you, is making you better. You know, Bob King, who was the president of the Phillips Publishing Consumer Division, I learned so many lessons from him. And that was one of the things he always said is you want your, your reader, your prospect to feel better off for having read your promotion in mm-hmm. some way. And if you can do that, even if they don't buy right then and there, they will be more likely to open your stuff and they're going to buy. They're going to eventually yeah. buy from you. Yeah. Um, and, and, yeah, and it's that lesson applies. Yeah. Yeah. And that lesson applies whether you're writing long form sales letters and, and uh, newsletters for the purpose of, of selling a, a book or, or a subscription. It also applies to your emails. 
these yeah, lessons absolutely. are applicable, whether you're aspiring to be the control writer for boardroom or, or um, some other business like that, or whether you're just trying to write better emails or better social posts, all of these principles are applicable. So I absolutely. interrupted your story. Yes. No, no, no. And it's even keeping your, your current buyers engaged, et cetera, et cetera. Right. Yeah. It's yeah. the whole so, thing, the bigger picture. Um, so you're yeah, on your so way to beating to Paris. Promotion. So yeah. I'm looking at, all right, I got to go up against the unbeatable Paris control, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, so I'm like, okay, I've learned from my past experience. Well, what else are you guys mailing for your other newsletters that's working, et cetera, et cetera, right? Well, there was like something they called a faux issue. Again, kind of similar to what I did with the uh, financial newsletter promotion, um, where it was like this four-color self-mailer magazine style thing. And it looked like had a little masthead, it had all these little mini articles and boardroom is very famous for all their bullets, you know, the fascinations and all the compelling stuff that get, you know, all the teas, et cetera. And uh, um, so anyway, I studied those and they, they thought they agreed. Yeah. You know, we think a faux issue would be the way to go. Cause that's what our current controls are for some of our other newsletters. So I'm like, cool, I'll write a faux issue. So I, I write this thing and oh my gosh, it was, you know, really some really great copy. And then on the front cover, I decide for the headline that I'm going to use this, um, uh, you know, the the Tea Party, you know, the tax revolt thing. You know, I have like this nice little sketch graphic in there and it's some kind of headline like declare your own tax revolt. And I forget something along those lines. Right. And I remember even talking about it with a good friend of mine, Carlene Anglais Cole, who is also now a top, top. A-list copywriter, but she's somebody I used to work with at Phillips. And we both were kind of just getting into freelancing around the same time. And we, you know, we'd share our little war stories. And I remember running that by her. She's like, you know, I have to kind of stop and think about that. And I'm like, oh yeah, but you know, it's all going to be great, whatever. Right. Well, I came within probably 10 or 15% of beating the Paris control, but to get a, a boardroom control, you actually have to test at least 15% higher in order to be declared the winner. So it was close, but no cigar, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but they weren't ready. None of us were ready to say, oh, let's scrap it. Cause it, you know, cause it did very well. I mean, just even come that close on the first try is very impressive. So again, second chances, right? I love my second chances. I went back to the table and I just reworked that headline and that lead. I made it not about, you know, something that happened 200 years ago or 300 years ago, but made it relevant to the prospect. And I made it a clear message, right? Be clear was the mess- the lesson I learned kind of the hard way. So the main headline was something along the lines of simplify your taxes and give yourself a tax cut. Oh, okay. Now you're talking, yeah. right? And then the... Two. the- yeah. And then Sorry. the lead was just very much like agitating the problem where they were, you know, the frustration points, you know, just in the past year, there's been 36,970 tax changes. How are you going to know them all? How do you know you're not paying too much, et cetera, et cetera, right? You know, all those fears and things and just getting right into it rather than we don't want to do another whole, you know, tax revolt, you know, tea party. Yep. And you used a, <laughs> a really, really critical phrase there, relevant to the prospect, yes. speaking about their life, their world, yes. frustration, right. confused, We're, how do I keep track? Yeah. How am I going to file my taxes this year? Or clever. It always yep. backfires. Yep. Just simple. Get to what is relevant to the prospect, yes. which is a great segue into something that I know that you are awesome at doing and awesome at teaching. And that is research. Mm-hmm. How do you figure out what is relevant to the prospect? 
Well, I mean, it's definitely, there's a whole lot of ways you can go about doing this. Um, Talking to actual people who are similar to your prospects. Um, And that can be hard to do these days. Not everybody wants to pick up a phone or call people, but if you can do that, if you can, for example, what I've done in the past sometimes is I've asked a client for a list of say a hundred repeat buyers of the product, Mm -hmm. right? And then I will call, I might call all hundred of them, but as long as I can call enough to complete anywhere from maybe five to eight, you know, interviews, very brief interviews where, well, sometimes they'll go on, sometimes they'll go on for a while, depending on the person. Um, but then I have a picture of this person that I'm talking to. Um, and it's, it really helps to just, who is this person? I mean, early on in my career, when I worked actually at Blue Cross Blue Shield of Maryland, I used to market health insurance directly to the senior market. And I'll never forget, (laughs) this brings back almost painful memories. I remember going to speak about our Medigap products to an audience of about 250 seniors at this massive center. I was probably like 26 years old and they saved me till the end. And then when they brought me out and I was like from Blue Cross Blue Shield, I gave my whole presentation. And then it was like one angry complaint after another. What do you do with your claims? My, you know, this and that and blah, blah, blah. I felt the sweat dropping down my back. But anyway, I had a really good idea who these people were and what their pain points were. I used to counsel seniors on health insurance matters and other things. So most of my career, I've actually spent writing to that same senior market, whether it's mm. been financial products or health insurance or, or, or supplements, right? Nutritional supplements. Um, but, you know, you may find that if you're writing or, you know, for a lot of different types of markets, you kind of have to become this chameleon where you can kind of get into the shoes and into the skin of that person. And you yeah. can definitely spend time lurking through forums. You can find so much online right now um, that, you know, we didn't have really available 20, 30 years ago. Um, But yeah, I think if you can talk to people, that's great. You can, you can start finding, collecting snippets and phrases and put together almost like their own language of words that they use to describe their problem, to describe their frustrations, to describe other things they've tried that haven't worked, you know, and really try to get into their shoes and experience where they're coming from. I do have kind of a funny story along those lines. Um, I'll never forget, and this is about my good friend, Carlene again, her sharing a story a few decades ago when she was first starting out as a copywriter, she worked very closely with Clayton Makepeace who also we lost a few years ago. And he uh, he was just an amazing copywriter. Um, and they were writing for one of his clients, um, a newsletter promotion for a sex and health newsletter right Mm -hmm. and so the client was reviewing the copy with him and he was like oh this one passage that was just it's just so sensitively written and you know really got across like the intimate and you know the feelings of intimacy and emotions and carlene you really did a great job with that and clayton's like oh actually i wrote that right (laughs) and then and he's like well wait a minute there's this this one passage it's just so whoa, it's just like so strong and passionate and it's just like really hot and, you know, torrid and all this. And Clayton, you did a great job. Carlene's like, I wrote that, you know? So it's just yeah. sort of, I guess I'm saying that to illustrate that you don't have to be the prospect. You don't have to be the market. I mean, I have written 
so many, you know, I've written promotions for like prostate health, right? I don't have a prostate, right? But I can put myself into the shoes of a man who is suffering from prostate problems and all the other feelings and emotions go along with that. And just as the greats like Clayton and Carlene, they could, Clayton could put himself in the shoes of a woman, you know, in this situation. And Carlene could definitely take on, hey, I'm a man with, you know, sexual impotence problems, you know? So anyway, it's just like, you don't have to be that person, but you have to become that person. And you have to be deliberate about figuring out how to put yourself in their shoes. The, the, the story of, you know, reaching out and talking to, to the top customers, if you can, is, um, is such an important one in, in, when we talk about story discovery and story power marketing, we, we note that so many businesses, when they go through the exercise of creating the prospect persona or whatever they call it, um, they'll put themselves in a room with a whiteboard. They'll write down the thing. They'll fill out a worksheet that they got at the back of some book and they think they're done. You know, I've done it. I, you know, they pull from their head and I know um, from, from you and, and, and from so many of the other great um, the, the great copywriters, um, Eugene Schwartz, we don't write copy, we assemble it. That's what he's talking about. Yes. He's talking about going and doing the research, yes, the research gathering the building huge. blocks yes. and assembling it. And, and so even, you know, moving beyond the whiteboard and pulling the, the stuff out of your own head to your own customers is, is such a critical step and most businesses, when you say, hey, let's call a few customers and talk to them, they think about that only in the context of, yeah, okay, we'll have a, a case study that we can publish on the website or a couple of testimonials that we can plop into you know, our, our footer or whatever. You're talking about putting yourself in their shoes so when you market moving forward, when you write copy moving forward, you're feeling what they're feeling. You're using the words that they use. You are all about them. And when you do that well, starting with research, when you do that well, that's when you write captivating copy, whether it's a single email or whether it's a long form sales letter. And so that's such an important idea. Businesses, uh, especially small businesses, uh, you know, let's get a quote for a testimony or, or a case study. It, it it can carry you so much further than that. So be deliberate, as Kim said. Absolutely. About I mean, reaching I, um, out to, yep. Go ahead. When I was running the Healthy Directions business, and this was like a very startup mode, it was sort of pre-internet, really. We weren't doing much on, you know, with email marketing even then. And, you know, we got so much information from like I would literally drive like an hour away to the call center and just listen in on phone calls, mm-hmm. you know, do that, do that regularly. Um, we would call and talk to people again, even then before I was a copywriter, I remember this woman B Cavilla and I, I, Oh my gosh, I kind of got to know her. She bought all the Dr. Whitaker's vitamins and she told me how she was at 80. She was going out dancing on the weekends and this and that. And next thing I know, I put her on a cover of one of our catalogs and, you yeah. know, had a great quote to use. But more, more than that, it just kind of kept you engaged with your customer's experience. Um, it also it helps keep you excited really about what you're doing and close to your mission. Yeah. Um, you yeah. know, and how can you improve? You know, you got to hear it from you know, what are the customers saying? We used to do this all the time, even when I worked at the Blue Cross Blue Shield division. You know, we had this uh, 
individual market division that I was working for when I was marketing the, um, you know, the Medicare supplemental policies. And when I first joined, it was just this one guy uh, doing the marketing and he had just joined the company with a direct response background. And it was the money losing division of the company. You know, it was like, oh, you have Mm -hmm. these policies we have to offer. And it's like, you know, we're a nonprofit and all this. Within three years, we became by far the most profitable division in the company. Um, They broke off into a separate subsidiary with like 20 people, um, contributed, I don't know if I recall, it was like at least 40 million in net profit to maybe, you know, we like maybe almost a third of the entire company. And it was, so it was an amazing success story. And one of the things, many, one of many things we did was listen to our customers all the time. We would bring customers in just for focus groups, informal groups where we'd feed them, you know, breakfast and listen to all their complaints. We'd all be kind of sitting there. We did formal uh, focus groups. We did all sorts of research all the time to just stay in touch with these people, going out, speaking at these events, like the one I described earlier, um, but just always keeping that, who that person was in front of us. Yeah. And yeah. it was a great lesson. It was my first marketing jobs. And then of course did that throughout the time at, at Phillips Publishing. And, and I tried to incorporate that into the work I do for clients and, um, you know, always keep who that target customer is in mind. Yeah, it's great, great advice. You know, that customer who's complaining and the customer who's happy, they're telling you a story about what they want, what they need. And when it's a complaint, they're not only instructing the marketing and the and the copywriting, but they're also instructing future product development, you know, make right. the operations and the product better in response. Not always. I mean, sometimes you make the judgment that that feedback is not um, is not relevant, is not the right thing. But so often it can be it can be really, really valuable. So yeah. speaking of product product development, I know that one of the key elements of research that you believe in that was, you know, speaking of Eugene Schwartz, a big piece of what he did with his research is talk to the people who created the product. Absolutely. So tell us a little bit about that part of research and how that instructs the marketing, the copywriting that the, that you do. Yeah, that that is a huge step. Um, I'll, I'll never forget one of the first promotions I created when I was working in-house at Phillips was for an air purifier. And of course, I had never written anything about an air purifier before, but I, you know, I did all the usual research. I looked at what Consumer Reports says, I looked at the competition. But the most valuable by far um, research I did was interviewing the person who developed and created the product. He was the owner of the company. They, the co- my, uh, I even flew up to Buffalo, New York in the middle of winter to tour his factory and see how they were made. But every, I, I could take that thing apart. I probably could have built one myself. Um, but here's why it made it so much more superior to any other air purifier. His whole story of why he created it, the origin story, always talk to your client try to unearth that, right? Or figure out what your own origin story is. Why did you create this skin Caroline, for example? I'm working on some copy right now with a top Canadian uh, dermatologist, right? Um, there's always an origin story you want to bring into your into your marketing. Um, so yes, your job as a copywriter or if it's your own business is to, to find out what that is and bring it to people. Um, yeah. So in the case of the air purifier, you had a, he had a granddaughter who had very bad allergies. He couldn't find anything that worked for her. It was mm-hmm. a beautiful story, very relatable, but true. Um, 
And yeah, so there's there's always yeah. like that, that that hidden gold that you you need to dig out. Or if it's even like a more complicated product, or <laughs> you know, supplements, there's so much competition. So now you have to really look at what's that unique mechanism in your product, and what does it do? This particular ingredient that other ones don't, and how does it work? So you kind of got to get a little sciency sometimes, and dig through some studies, and talk to the formulator. You know, find out. You know. Why is this particular form better, et cetera? You know, yeah. Yeah, that is, that's all so great. And, and you talk about the origin story. And I think one of the mistakes that that some marketers make is they hear what you just said. Got to get the origin story in there. And then they make it all about me, 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 me. And, and you know, I was born a poor child in Kentucky and I clawed my way out of the out of the holler and blah, I blah, I mean, blah, those blah, things blah. can work. Let's just well, say, they I mean, can, right. Yeah, they can, it can work. work. It can they work. can work <laughs> if, if the story connects to the needs and the wants and the desires, the fears, the frustrations sure. of the process. Yeah, that has to be relevant. Right? Yes. It, like it has to be relevant. And that's where so many people miss the mark on this stuff. And the story that you told, even just the, the, the reference that you dropped, the guy invented this thing mm. because his, what did you say? His, his granddaughter? granddaughter had allergies right. and he, yeah. yeah. And asthma, and, I think. Right. A long and time ago. <laughs> so the readers, the prospects are operating in a world where they're suffering with allergies and their exactly. doctors are not giving them the answers and they don't know what to do and they don't know where to turn. Right. So his story that led to the creation of the product is their story. And there's mm -hmm. the perfect melding of the origin story and the and, and bring the it copy. into the solution, right? You want to tie it to yeah. the solution into yeah. what your product or service can do. Yeah, yep. that's beautiful. And and you know, one of the things we we often think of the copy that we're putting out there, an email, uh, a long form sales letter, whatever it may be, as you know, we did our thing. That's the piece, and now we'll move on and we'll do another one. But one of the things I know you understand and, and really teach is this idea that that it builds and what you're doing success when you're successful in the first piece, but over time as they're reading copy that you put out there, you're building relationships. You're the the people who are reading your your copy are connecting with you and that pays dividends down the road. Can you talk a little bit about that and 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 how the personal connection can be forged between you and a prospect if you are sure. writing writing your copy in, in the proper way. Sure. There's really kind of two different avenues here. One is the, you know, just staying in front of people, whether they're your customers or your target customers or people who might someday buy from you, right? You know, so maybe you have a, a list, right, that you email and you, you provide some value, you provide maybe some infotainment, um, but you have that connection, that relationship that you know, you are in front of them. And so you're becoming, you know, this person that they trust, right? Yep. So that's one avenue. The other avenue really is what do you do once people buy from you? Mm -hmm. um, and how do you nurture that relationship? Um, and again, you're nurturing them as prospects, but, you know, what is that, what is that journey of the person who buys from you? Like we used to map out um, when I first launched the Healthy Directions business, when I was at Phillips Publishing, it's coming from a subscription based business, right? And the questions that I got from Bob King and Tom Phillips when we were, you know, figuring out the launch plan was, 
what are you going to do when you get that order? What's going to, what are you going to, how are you going to get that second order? How are you going to get that third order? I mean, this was a consumable product supplements, right? Just like a newsletter is consumable, right? Because you have to constantly renew them. Um, so, I mean, a lot of companies you'd be surprised that I have worked for over the years. They just want to hire me because I'm that unicorn that can write the acquisition promo <laughs> and bring in new customers. And then they just constantly churn, churn, churn. And they're just, you know, and it's like, I'll pay you another 25,000, write another. It's like, what are you doing with those people who bought? Like, what are you, what are you doing? Yeah. Right. But then they don't want to pay you really for, they'll no, go off and do this. Right. So, um, yeah, the money, the gold is in those, that back end. Right. And I learned that also early on because we, as a company, we had a good relationship with Jay Abraham later on. I actually worked on his newsletter and, um, yeah, the hidden gold in your business is that buyer and that repeat buyer, right. Turning yeah. them into converting them into a repeat buyer. So, uh, you know, right from the get-go with the Healthy Directions business, we mapped out what their journey was and how would we follow up with them. And maybe we put them into an auto ship, but not everybody wanted to buy auto ships. We had another whole option for them that actually, you know, still to this day, they have people who just do these stock up mailings, which I kind of came up with, you know, in this dash for cash thing where we were like, what else can we do to bring in money? And uh, it's all right there, right? It's just the hidden gold in your list and how you nurture it and how you build that relationship. And yeah. stay in front of people. I mean, even just what do they get in the box? You'd be surprised how much stuff we're all buying more stuff, right? By getting yep. delivered. What's in the box? The box should be its own experience. I mean, there are some yep. companies who get it, but some who don't. It's like we used to get 10%, you know, response just to offers we stuck in the box. Okay. Yeah. Like yeah. it's just crazy. So there's so many opportunities you're probably not leveraging that are fairly low cost, extremely low risk you know, with building your back end. And, you know, when I said we hit 23 million in sales, um, that was like in today's dollars, that's like around 40 million. And that was just going to one list. That was just as a back end business, going yeah. to people who already subscribed to Dr. Whitaker's newsletters. This was before even going to any outside list. And it was just serving those people. You know, there was always new people coming in, obviously, but, you know, what else can we sell you? How else can we be of service? you know, yeah. staying in front of them and building that relationship. Yeah. And, and you use the, the, the term dash for cash, but you also use the term <laughs> serving, serving yeah. those people. Dash for cash was it's, an internal thing. You no, know. I, I, I know you you're it. not you talking know, about that. Come, he's like, okay, but, everybody, you know, but the, but the, but the best the, business ideas came out of that. Uh, that's right. And, <laughs> and so being, being deliberate about thinking of, you know, what can we do with our existing customers? It's so much more expensive, so much more painful, so much more time consuming to go find somebody new and bring them into your business. Absolutely. Those, those with whom you're connected, if you can continue to provide value to over deliver, to quote our friend Brian Kurtz, yes. um, to uh, to give them a reason, build on that relationship. So relationship that we're talking about is not just some, you know, catchy marketing trick and phrase. We're right. talking about mutual value, um, recognizing what can I do to serve you and right. and and giving them a reason to want to continue to uh, to spend money. So it, it, right. it it's, um, it's a really critical point. And as with everything you've talked about today, it's not just about writing, uh, a copy for right. supplements or, or, a, a newsletter. Health newsletter. Or, yeah. it, it's about, you know, you do this with your 
news uh, with your emails that you send right. out. I have my um, own emails. I send on my list. I have my own products. I have my same core group of people who seem to just want to buy again and again, anything I come out with, which is great. Um, yep. It's a good testimony that they're getting value out of it. Um, I'm always looking, I'm in the process of creating a new research course. I'm always like, what else do, how else can I serve them? What else can I share that's going to make them better off? Here's another quote from Bob King, make them better off in ways they desire, right? Yeah. What is it they desire? How else can I serve them and meet them? Yeah. Yeah. And going back yeah. to Eugene Schwartz, we don't create the desire. We tap it's, the desire. Yes. It's we, in the market. We, yeah. yeah. Our job is to figure out what the desire is exactly. and then deliver and serve. And, and, and that's so, why I feel like it's a very honorable profession that we're in really when we approach it from the right way. Yeah. And, and, uh, you know, I've talked about this. I, I get this from a lot of the people I work with when I start talking about tapping into, you know, what are your prospects losing sleep over? What do they fear? What frustrates yes. them and so forth? I'll get pushback. I don't want to talk about that stuff. That's fear-based marketing, uh, you know, quote, fear-based marketing, and that's yucky and that's unethical and all that kind of stuff. And a, a lot of people have addressed that in a lot of different ways. I like to quote Dave D, who says that the difference between unethical manipulation and ethical persuasion is intent. And, and if the product and service that you're putting out there is of honest value and truly is serving them and is delivering on the promise over delivering on the promise, then um, the we are in a noble business. We are helping people cross a bridge from some before state, frustration, fear, pain, right. whatever it right. may be, right. to some better after and state. salvation. Yep. And 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 yeah, I think again back to that point though, I think yes, we, you know, you have to be careful about, you know, you you obviously you want to dig out what are those fears and frustrations. It doesn't mean mm -hmm. you're gonna use them point blank as is like in your headline or in your copy. Um, right. there are some things, there's ways to approach it in a much more subtle way. That's um, right. because otherwise, yeah, you could just turn people off, right? Or oh my gosh, yeah. it sounds Life's so terrible. I just give up right now. You always, you, in many ways, you're better off showing, using hope, using, you know, this promise of transformation. Yeah. But you have to kind of know where they're starting at, right? You have so to meet, really why, you have to why meet them where they are. Out. Yeah. You're digging yeah. that out. Like, yeah. So you, yeah. so you can show them the transformation. So you can show them and give them the hope that they need. Yeah. And I am not a fan of the marketers who sort of take the agitate until the house is on fire approach. Right. Um, but you do to your but point. But you do you know? it in a way that's subtle. It reminds them, it gives them, Hey, you know, and you gotta, gotta speak to that, but it's, it's a careful dance. You yeah. Know? You do it with empathy yeah. in the end. Yeah. If, if yeah. you, if you are in their shoes and really understand how they feel as opposed to just, you know, throw away sympathy lines. I know how you feel. Um, you're not alone. You, yeah. You're not alone if you empathize. It's not then... your fault. <laughs> That's what's been <laughs> <Yeah>. overused. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so we talked about your email list. We talked about your courses, uh, website. Where are these places? Where can somebody find you, Kim? Well, and uh, Probably the and... best all-around place to go is kimschwam.com, which yep. is K-I-M-S-C-H-W-A-L-M.com. I actually have a new website. That'll be coming out soon. So you may land on that, hopefully, and um, you'll get to see everything I have. And you can sign up to be one of my copy insiders and you'll get a free, um, it's actually a five in one checklist 
for your copy. Mm-hmm. And it also includes checklists for research. And I think you'll find it incredibly valuable. So you'll get that when you sign up to be on my list. I, I think it's great. I am on your list. I love your emails. Great. I, I have the checklist. I love the the checklist. Um, so much that Kim brings to the marketing space and in the bio, talking about her marketing background, I keep emphasizing this because um, just because we're talking about boardroom and newsletters and Phillips Publishing and all of this stuff, don't get the idea that the, this is for another world and another kind of uh, person. <laughs> if you're marketing a business, if you're trying to build a bit, uh, connection with an email list, if you're trying to to um, use an online sales page, for example, which everything is applicable or video sales letter or whatever. Exactly. Yes. You have I mean, you have a lot to learn from Kim Krause Schwalm. And, well, thank you. Uh, thank you, and, Tom. Uh, you are welcome. Um, and, uh, you know, it, it, and and again, for those, I know there were some people who probably didn't know when we started this call what a control is. And mm-hmm. and that idea of A-list copywriter is also a little bit of inside baseball lingo. And, and um, you know, the, the list of A-list copywriters is reasonably short. So, um, those of you who have, have tuned into this episode, rewind, play it again, because I guarantee that there is a lot of hidden gold that you can pan out of this thing if you listen to it more than once, because um, it's not every day that you get to spend half hour, 45 minutes with an A-list copywriter who's giving you tips like uh, you've gotten today. So, Kim, I am thrilled that we were able to spend this time together. I Any too. parting thoughts for uh, the audience before we call it? Uh, yeah, I was just thinking day. back to your starting story, which I loved about yeah. um, Mr. Thinskin. Yeah. And I will tell you that for me, my greatest learning as a copywriter early on was getting back, you know, this is before Google Docs, getting back the actual copy, you know, copy that I slaved over with so much red ink on it that I could barely read it. I mean, without those criticisms, I never would have gotten better. And the people that I've mentored since, it's always those big aha moments are when they're yep. getting that feedback. So you yep. have to be always open to feedback and improving. And anytime you go to a conference, well, that's, we have most of those, you'll see other top A-listers. We're all sitting there taking notes. I was just at a session today online, taking yeah. notes, paying attention, always learning. So always learning. You know, Amen that, to that is the key. Just yeah. constant improvement, be open. You know, we all constantly that's how we all get better yeah you prompted one one story in my mind as you told that i i worked for 10 years in the newspaper industry before i became a a full-time marketer and an entrepreneur and um at one of the newspapers where i worked the daily routine was the executive editor of the paper would take a front page and um and then also the front of the local news section. So the, the most of the of the key news stories in the entire newspaper. And he would mark them up in red ink and put them out on the bulletin board. So this was not just, hey, Tom, you know, <laughs> here's what I have to say to you. This is, hey, everybody, here's what Tom did wrong. Here's what Bill did wrong. Here's what Susie did wrong. Here's, you know, yeah. and also what they did right. You know, he right. would mark up the positives. Right. And, and, uh, thick skin. You had to have thick skin. Yep. You had to take advice to heart. And, 
and you you had to be prepared to to absorb and act on it because oh boy if you made the same mistake twice the the ink was was no longer in in red flare pan it was in red magic marker you know and then not you may again. not get to see it the third time because you'd be out the door exactly. <laughs> exactly so kim thank you so much again uh really enjoyed our time together and and as i said if you're listening or watching rewind you're gonna find more uh, every time you listen to this so thanks so much thank you so much I'll see Tom. you again thanks yep. for tuning i'll in. be back if you'll, if you'll have me for listening to the Story Power Marketing Show with Tom Ruich. If you liked what you heard today, visit storypowermarketing.com resources where you can sign up for Tom's entertaining, informative, must-read emails, download free business building resources, and discover other opportunities to help you harness the power of storytelling. That's storypowermarketing.com slash resources to help you captivate prospects, inspire them to act, and grow your business with greater ease and joy. Also, please remember to subscribe to the Story Power Marketing Show with Tom Ruich and review it on iTunes or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. <laughs>